0: Are you tired of counting calories? Are you sick of tiny portions and food that tastes like cardboard? What if there were a way to get the results you want without sacrificing the food you love? Hi, I'm Olympic champion Michael Phelps. You know I had to sacrifice a lot to earn eight gold medals at the Beijing Olympics, but one thing I never sacrificed was a good meal, and neither should you. Introducing the Michael Phelps diet. It's the only (laughs) diet that lets you eat whatever Michael Phelps eats. And as you can tell, it works wonders for me. Hungry for a delicious, nutritious breakfast? I sure am. Well, how about three fried egg sandwiches, a a stack of chocolate chip pancakes, a bowl of Grips, a five egg omelet, French toast with powdered sugar, and a gallon of coffee, ice cream. Wow! (laughs) Tired of suffering through a salad at lunch? (laughs) Then cozy up to a pound of pasta, three Cuban sandwiches smothered in mayonnaise, a fried turkey stuffed with molasses, a barrel of Halloween candy, and to wash it all down, a pitcher of hollandaise (laughs) sauce.
1: Now that's a lunch!
0: And for dinner, tuck into a whole pork butt, two pinatas filled with corned beef hash, four wedding cakes, an actual pig in a blanket, a bathtub, a veggie alfredo. You can eat whatever you like, as long as it adds up to 12,000 calories a day. Can you believe it? It's that simple. Imagine, the body you've always wanted with a diet that seems
2: too good to be true.
1: I've been on the Michael Phelps diet for almost two weeks, and people are already coming up to me and saying
2: congratulations, because they know I found the perfect diet. What's happening, people? Welcome back to name. Got some cool stuff to talk about this week. Uh, get into it. Flight Facilities, which I've featured on the show twice now, was played on NBC when they did their uh, opening for the Tokyo Olympics. And I lost my shit when I heard their song uh, Better Than Ever being played. When bands that I like that get little to no airtime make it to the mainstream, because some young hip kid working in the production facility for a major network uh, he has the right connections to feature them. Uh, I'm over the moon. So if you haven't checked out this band or that song, uh, do me a favor. Uh, I'm going to put links in the description of this episode at inane.philnagash.com once the show is over. Uh, please check them out on Amazon Music. If you don't like the music, you don't have to buy it but just listen to them if you have uh, Amazon Prime and you have access to the, uh, you know, Amazon music service through Amazon. More on Alexa in a little bit. Um, They're just great. Even if it doesn't speak to you, you have to appreciate it when an artist like that gets a break that big. Flight facilities, in case you missed it. (laughs) The big news out of the Olympics came yesterday. Simone Biles uh, pulled out of the team competition for women's gymnastics because of a uh, medical condition. And it was clear that the medical condition wasn't physical from the replay. But that didn't come out until later. Uh, She was very candid after it was over. The U.S. team still took a silver medal. But she said this, I know that this Olympic Games, I wanted it to be for myself. I came here and I felt like I was still doing it for other people. So that just hurts my heart that doing what I love has been kind of taken away from me to please other people. We also have to focus on ourselves because at the end of the day, we're human too. So we have to protect our mind and our body rather than just go out there and do what the world wants us to do. So do yourself a favor, don't read the comments on this story. Because people are shitty. You know, a bunch of asshole couch potatoes calling into question her toughness when she's ten times tougher than any of those knuckleheads. She has competed and won while injured more times than you'd like to know. And she's competed fearlessly, knowing full well that she's the face of this whole Uh, Dr. Nasser, sexual abuse scandal. Now imagine being that person, having that kind of vulnerability and still going out there and competing and kicking ass. No one has any idea what kind of pressure these athletes are under, especially when the U.S. is expected to dominate events. There's an entire world of athletes out there and they're all exceptional. I'm I was proud of her for pulling out. She's proved herself already. She doesn't owe anyone an explanation. If she's struggling mentally, that's her business, not ours. It's like, the U.S. isn't number one all the time, all right? Get over it. I love watching the Olympics because it shows just how great athletes are all over the world, and it shows how human they are. So, I'm going to play something for you, and it might piss you off. But this is the perfect example of a bad take on something like this. And it comes from Charlie Kirk, who's a conservative radio talk show host.
1: Simone Biles says, this Olympic Games, I wanted to be for myself when I came in. And I felt like I was still doing it for other people, as she cried after the team event on Tuesday. So that just, it like hurts my heart because doing what I love has been kind of taken away from me to please other people. Yeah, that's the point, Simone Biles. You're representing your nation, you selfless you're selfish sociopath. You kidding me? Today it's like you know what? I'm not gonna do something stupid and get hurt. It's just not worth it. Especially when you have like three amazing athletes that can step up to the plate and do it. So you know who has the gold medal? Russia. Russia. I have to go look at these four foot eleven Russian Olympi- Olympians chewing on their gold medals, smirking at the Americans. I'm not okay with that. But honestly, that's where we're headed. We are raising a generation of weak people like Simone Biles. Again, if you want to be, if she got all these mental health problems, don't show up. She's an incredible athlete. Of course she's an incredible athlete. I'm not saying, I just said she's probably the greatest gymnast of all time. She's also very selfish. She's immature. And she is a shame to the country. She's totally a sociopath. Of course she's a sociopath. Andrew says she's not a sociopath. What kind of person skips the gold medal match? Who does that? It's a shame to the nation. You just gave a gift to the Russians. Don't show up. If you're not ready for the big time, we got thousands of young female gymnasts that would love to take the place, thousands. Simone Biles just showed the rest of the nation that when things get tough, you shatter into a million pieces.
2: Listen, if you haven't walked 10 steps in someone else's shoes, let alone a mile, maybe you should step back a little and show some empathy. When something like this happens, she's a sociopath? Seriously, dude, I think we all know some famous sociopaths, and I don't see how she fits into that category, but whatever. This is just a perfect example of how America has lost its ability to stand behind other Americans. We attack instead of support, and it also speaks to how mental health is completely misunderstood. She didn't feel right upstairs, so she steps aside. And that makes her weak? I've talked about the stigmas that exist with depression. This is it. No one understands it. You're perceived as weak or lazy. She should go out there and do some dangerous shit, possibly hurt herself. We wouldn't meddle at all. And she may never compete again, just as she can prove herself to you? A guy who couldn't hold her jock? I'll get to common decency later in the show, but this is a perfect setup for it. Was she out there representing our country? Yes, but she was also representing herself. Did she disappoint some people? Yes. Could this be seen as being selfish? Sure, if you don't understand mental health. If you lack empathy for a fellow American, a young girl who has faced more challenges than any of us could imagine. She's a lot of things, my friend, but an embarrassment to our country? No, that's not one of them. And I should also add this, because I had to look it up. This guy looked pretty young. Kirk is 27 years old. Biles is 24. He's only three years older than she is, yet we're raising a generation of weak kids. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. The greatest thing to come out of this is now people are beginning to realize the mental health aspect of all of this. Naomi Osaka is another one. Biles is being asked to do all these crazy moves which, if done wrong, could result in serious injury, career-ending injuries that could impact her life forever. If she's not in the right frame of mind, one false move could destroy everything they were probably asking her to do some seriously risky shit out there. And it sounds to me like she felt she was being asked to do something she wasn't comfortable with. So it suddenly became about everybody else and not her. If your mental health isn't 100%, everything else in your life will be impacted by that. And this doesn't just apply to sports. It applies to everything. Let's remember that the eyes of the world are on this young woman. And the scrutiny she's under must be staggering. Like Michael Phelps, he battled mental health issues, and he's been very outspoken about it. This is going to be a big story going forward. And as far as sad as I am that she's not competing, I'm glad that we're being given another opportunity to talk about mental health, anxiety, depression, and how important it is to take care of yourself mentally first. But another other sports news, the Cleveland Indians finally changed their name. They're now the Cleveland Guardians. Now, I like the name, but the logo looks a little weird. Maybe it'll grow on me. I don't know. But I think it looks like a logo that a teenager who lives in his mother's basement would put on a pair of tights and say he's a superhero, the Guardian. But I love the fact that they found a way to keep the, the name three syllables. You know? Indian, Guardian. And then they kept the Deans part of it. I wouldn't be, like, it, it wouldn't be too hard for fans to get used to this, even if they don't like it. But it sounds like the team, they named it after a newspaper. And okay, people can hate on the name and the dumb logo, but at least the Guardians didn't sit on their hands coming to a decision. The Washington football team, which was previously the Redskins, They're going to play another season without a new name or a logo. And what's taking them so long? Yeah, man, I missed an opportunity for a great picture the other day. Like, it's hard to shoot stuff in your car when you're driving with your phone if you're not ready. Especially if you're driving and there are, like, cops around. Because here in California, if they see you holding your phone in your hand while you're driving, it's like an instant ticket. But I was out running errands last week. And there was an unusual traffic jam on one of our city streets. And when that happens, it's either road work being done or an accident. So I saw lights as I got closer. And it turns out there was a single car accident up ahead. And as I got closer to it, I saw what it was. It was a minivan that had somehow jumped a curb, landed on a grassy area near some trees. But it didn't hit anything. Just it wrecked the front of the van. But the most bizarre and ironic thing about it was on the back window, there was this big sticker that said, God is my co-pilot. <laughs> and I, I wished I'd had the wherewithal to take a picture, but traffic had started to move at that point, and I didn't want to cause another accident, fumbling with my phone. I just thought about the irony of that. God is my co-pilot, and I, how somehow the car jumped, ran, jumped over a curb Onto the sidewalk. (laughs) I was like, I wonder if God even has a driver's license. Hey, did you see the news item that started surfacing last week? Scientists want us to stop using the words shark attack every time someone gets bitten by a shark. They've been calling them bites and incidents and encounters for years, and now they want us to, to do that too. No more shark attacks because it has negative connotations. Use less sensational language, they said. They're doing this because they want to change the public's perception of sharks because the population of sharks has dropped over 70% since 1970, which is sad and bad for the ecosystem in the ocean. Like, we need sharks in the ocean. I get that, but now scientists are trying to police our language. You know? I'm sorry, but when a shark comes swimming up to a surfer, opens its wide mouth filled with razor blades and cuts this poor bastard in half, shakes his torso back and forth like a bloody ragdoll, that's no bite or incident or encounter. That's a fucking shark attack. Encounters and incidents, those are like a fender bender in your car or a bear strolling through your campsite. Yeah, look, let's say a bear strolls through your campsite and you scare it off and then the bear takes off, leaves you alone. That's an encounter. But if that bear strolls through your campsite, you try to scare it off, and it just roars, rips your tent open, and eats you alive, it's a fucking bear attack. Like, could you imagine if you put this into perspective in any other situation? Like, a, sorry, uh, sorry you lost your father. How'd he die? Oh, he had a heart encounter. Oh, what? Sorry, sorry. A heart incident. You mean he had a heart attack? Your father had a heart attack. I understand that scientists are trying to change the public's perception of sharks, but look, they're dangerous creatures. They're the Charles Mansons of the sea. Their sole purpose is to kill and eat anything in the sea, and that includes humans. I think people need to start thinking twice before entering shark-infested waters. If you're dumb enough to surf in places like that, You deserve to be attacked by a shark for being dumb. It's like walking through Skid Row at midnight in a KKK hoodie, carrying a torch. If you're dumb enough to do that shit, you deserve the encounter that's coming. So I was going through some folders in one of my older computers, and I found the archive for the cookbook that I had started writing before Katrina got really sick. And it was nostalgic for me to go through those files, including the draft of the cookbook and and to read some of the stuff I'd written. But it was the cover of the book, the title in particular, that struck a chord with me. The title was The Dude Food Cookbook. And the subtitle read, How to Cook Your Way to 100 Friends. And in parentheses, real ones, not the kind on Facebook. It was that last bit that stuck with me because... I remembered why I wrote that. So there are two types of friends in any type of relationship, givers and takers. Like I once said to my wife that relationships are give and take. And she corrected me immediately. She said, no, they're give, give. I give myself to you, my love, support, my spirit, body, everything that I have. You accept that, you receive it, and in return, you give the same and I accept that. That's how it works. Taking is stealing. And that goes for any relationship with the necessary boundaries applied. And after I wrapped my head around that, I realized why I had bought into the idea of give and take. Because there have been a lot of people in my life who took more from me than they gave. These people are no longer in my life because no one likes to feel used, especially me. People who I have in my life now are those who enrich it, who appreciate me and what I bring to the table, and I appreciate what they bring to the table. There was one friend in particular, many moons ago, who was the perfect example of a taker. His life was a roller coaster ride through hell, which never seemed to get better. Every conversation with this dude was all about him and his problems. And it got to the point where I never called him. He always called me, usually to complain about something. And if we'd ever meet up for beers and wings or something, 80% of the conversation came from his side of the table. Like, I don't mind being that friend who you can feel comfortable dropping your problems on, but, you know, maybe mix it up a little. And show some interest in what's going on in my life too, you know? Looking back, this guy was a bit of an asshole. Over-opinionated. Somewhat pretentious. And he treated his live-in girlfriend like shit. He was incredibly controlling. And I was friends with her too. We used to work together. We just didn't talk as much. Katrina was a bit of a jealous person, so she didn't want me to have female friends even though she knew I'd never cheat on her. But her go-to was always, it's not that I don't trust you, I know women, I don't trust them. As if I couldn't stop the advances of a five-foot-six, 130-pound woman. But anyway, my female friend, she'd had enough of his bullshit, and she moved out on him. This is when the phone calls ramped up and seemed to last forever. These were hour-long conversations of listening to this dude crying on the phone, asking where did he go wrong and whenever I tried to tell him where he went wrong, he wouldn't even respond to what I said, just went on and on it was exhausting and I should have simply stopped responding to his texts or picking up the phone, but that's not who I was back then, I was the doormat friend, the guy you could wipe your dirty feet on but when Katrina got her diagnosis and my life started to fall apart I figured maybe I'd get some support from him why, I have no idea. Like, what a dumbass I could be back then, right? I got a sorry to hear that, followed by four paragraphs of his current problems with his new girlfriend and his job and whatever the fuck else this walking nightmare had going on. But eventually, it stopped. I didn't return phone calls or respond to texts or Facebook messages. And when I finally lost Kat, the worst tragedy I could imagine up to that point in my life. And news spread across Facebook. He, you know, he called me and reached out with his condolences. And the conversation was about me and my loss for about two minutes. Then he started in again about himself. I finally had to stop him and tell him what he needed to hear and what I should have said years ago. I said, look, let me stop you right here. I've just lost the love of my life, my future's uncertain, I'm sad, I feel empty. I don't know whether I'm coming or going most days. I'm drinking too much. I have a hole in my heart and my life. And after all these years of being the ear to all your problems in your life, problems that don't compare to what I'm going through right now. You're calling not to give me support, but to make it about you again. I said, look, I'm sorry, but I can't do this anymore. Find someone else to listen to you, even if you have to pay a professional to do it. I'm done. I hung up. I didn't even give him a chance to respond. I just hung up. Then I got a few more texts after that, which I didn't respond to. Finally, I blocked him, unfriended him on Facebook, and that was it. And from there, I started taking stock in my friends. Who were the takers? Maybe not even to this degree. Who took more than they gave back? And these became second or third tier friends in my life. People who I would purposely wait three to four days to respond to. And when I did, it was like something innocuous, noncommittal. And I'm sure you've had at least one friend in your life like this. I've had way too many. Coming to you with a problem, asking for advice. And when you give it, they ignore it. And just do what they've been doing only to come back to you with the same problem a month later. Or asking for recipes, which, by the way, take a long time to type out. I'd follow up a few weeks later, asking how the dish turned out. Oh, never made it. I will someday, though. Thanks for sending that. I've got more examples of that than I have time on the show. These people are takers. They need your attention. They need your time. They need someone to hear them out, but they simply don't give back. The worst part is, if you're an empath, you feel their pain for them. And you do... Do you really have that kind of... Do you have that much happiness in your life that you can afford to take on all that other pain that's not yours? Because I know I don't. Not anymore, at least. Could you imagine if a marriage was like this? What kind of a complete debacle would that be? Because, you know, it's true. Look, after a couple of years... The dopamine of the happiness, the freshness in your relationship kind of wears off. Things settle down. You get into a new normal. But when one partner ends up giving more than they're receiving, the writing's on the wall that there's an imbalance that needs to be fixed. When one partner does it all and the other barely participates and adds very little to the relationship, that's a major issue. That's how resentment starts. And it's even more serious in marriage because you can't simply block a number or unfriend them. It's way more involved. Anyway, my point is, continue to be a giver, but start to take stock of the takers that you have in your life. Get rid of them and build a colony of givers. Okay, enough of the serious shit. So the big news from Amazon last week is that Alexa devices finally have a male voice option now. And there were other names you can call it, like Amazon or Echo or Computer, which I think sounds kind of stupid. So I thought I'd try it out. I switched it to the male voice. I swear it lasted half a day. Every time I heard that voice, it kind of sounded like me, which creeped me out a little bit. So I changed it back. But I guess they're introducing celebrity voices on there. Like five bucks, you can buy the celebrity voice. Samuel L. Jackson, Melissa McCarthy, and Shaq. Like the only way it'd be worth the extra five bucks is if they cursed. Because no one curses like Samuel L. Jackson.
0: I want you to go in that bag and find my wallet. Which one is it? It's the one that says bad motherfucker.
2: And I don't understand why in the world they would pick Shaq. I mean, I love the guy. But he talks like he's got a Mouthful of mashed potatoes half the time. He mumbles like crazy. Like you wouldn't understand a thing out of his mouth, you know? Shaq, set an alarm for 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Alarm set for 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, what? <laughs> Shit, that'd be more work than it's worth. But if they get Morgan Freeman on there, I'm doing it. Now there is a voice. Yeah, hey, I've been reading this book that my friend Brad bought and started passing it around. It's about golf. It's called The Match by Mark Frost. And it's about this private best ball golf match that very few people knew about. It took place in the late 50s between two relatively unknown amateurs and two legendary golf pros. And without getting into specifics, it's a wonderfully detailed book about how golf became so popular here in America, and how important amateur golf was back then. But what I'm getting out of this book more than anything is nostalgia. And as you know, I'm not one to talk about the good old days or look into the past and say how great it was. I try to keep my focus forward. But I have to tip my hat to the generation that preceded us. That society, for all of its faults, which are many, It was a much greater society than the one we're living in now. Men were gentlemen back then. Athletes, especially golfers, lifted each other up. People helped each other. And when the press was invited to these celebrity golf events back then, they obeyed the strict code of silence, the omerta, you know, to what happened when the curtains were closed. Not now. Now we've got TMZ. We're nothing secret. There's little to no code of ethics or silence. We've got social media being used as a tool to bully and belittle people. The Gulf still has gentlemen in it, but it's not like it was back in the 50s and 60s. We've got more Bryson DeChambeau's than we have Ben Hogan's. But then again, there's a huge difference in how society reacts to social reform. Now, it's far more understood and progress is made, however slowly, But it wasn't like that back then. Now, if you read The Grapes of Wrath, you realize that Ernest Hemingway used his story to speak out about social justice in a not-so-subtle way. But after word of that book hit the streets, people were calling for it to be banned. They had public book burnings. They were calling Hemingway a socialist, a communist, a pinko rat, the whole ball of wax. So the fight for equality and social justice is nothing new. Hemingway, he got there first, 1939. We're just more sensitive to it now. And if you talk about it on any platform, you might get a little pushback from certain groups, but they're not banning your book or burning it. You remember back in the late 80s, Salman Rushdie wrote that novel, Pissed Off the Ayatollah of Iran. Not only did they ban his book, they wanted him dead. He had to flee the country. The Satanic Verses, I think it was called. So yeah, we have far more freedoms here now. I just look back at how people dressed back then. Men wore suits and ties pretty much everywhere. Go to a baseball game, men were in suits and ties. Women wore dresses and later capri pants and blouses. People took pride in how they look. Now everyone dresses like shit. Like every day's casual Friday. Go to Google Images and look up pictures of Arnold Palmer in the 60s. This man used to golf in a cardigan sweater. He had a class and style. Like money got a little bit too important to golfers over time. They never used to wear baseball caps in golf. Now everyone wears one. Because golfers basically have, they become ad space. Any chance to show a logo, you take it. Golfers now look like walking billboards or NASCAR vehicles. Anyway, it's not as much about golf as it is about how society has changed for the worse the way I see it. We could afford to be a bit more civil and show some decorum. We talk about the greatest generation, the people who lived and died for what was right through World War II, all over the world, not just here in America. But The last bastion of that generation, to me anyway, lives in the Midwest of this country and in several parts of, like, Canada. And I speak from experience on this. Nebraska, Iowa, Ohio, Pennsylvania, kind of. Ontario, Saskatchewan, a select few parts of Quebec who weren't too heavily influenced by the French. But, but that generation cared about this country and about each other. Yes, we lived in racist times back then. That was a problem. Listeners of any color of this show are going to have something to say about what I just said. I get it. I understand. But when this country had its back up against a wall, we stood together as one, as far back as 9-11. I just don't understand why we can't do that now. Be civil. Treat each other with respect. Love each other as much as you love our country. And fuck me, if I can't help from tr- being a patriot, I'm trying to be a decent human being, asking people to love one another, and then it turns into a political thing, because everything now is political. I really hate that. I hate that everything has to be a political argument, but that's where we are right now, and it proves my point. You know, just love each other. It's not hard. Hey, one more thing, because I know the show's getting a little long. Where are we on this? Oh, yeah, I'm getting way too long here. All right, get this. This is pretty cool. Bevmo which was purchased last November by a company called GoPuff, which is a food delivery service similar to DoorDash, but they also deliver alcohol. They now provide delivery service for online orders, which is intro priced at $2. And this is one of the greatest things any store that sells alcohol can possibly do. Can you imagine how this is going to cut down on DUIs? I don't shop at BevMo very often because their prices aren't that great. And their selection of Belgian beers isn't what it once was, which is one of the only reasons I ever shopped there in the first place. But I went into one of their stores recently, and I noticed that this one had remodeled and expanded to sell groceries. Limited supply of things. Everything's packaged. No produce. But they sell cheeses, frozen entrees, pizzas, snackables, chips, flavored water, some pharmacy shit. It's like a low-rent grocery store. That sells mostly booze. So I mentioned to the checker. I said, you guys are a full-on grocery store now. And he said, yeah. He told me about this delivery service that they have. And I realized then that the laws, I don't know, in different states, I guess, the laws for delivering alcohol must have some stipulation that you also, you have to sell more than alcohol. Which is why this BevMo turned themselves into kind of an expanded version of a 7-Eleven or gas station convenience store. Smart move, and I got to tell you, props to BevMo, because think about this. How many parties have you been to where you've run out of something or or everything, and someone's got to make a beer run, but everyone's drunk for two bucks, and who knows, maybe eventually $10 or more, who cares? You avoid a DUI, and no one dies because one of your asshole friends kills a family of four, you know, driving into oncoming traffic because they, they need beer. And this kid told me that they all wear these beepers. So the minute an online order comes in, it's expedited, and that order is on a truck in less than two minutes, and it's on your its way to your house within a certain radius, I think. So you don't have to wait an hour to continue partying. Like they thought this through. I just wondered what it was like for these poor bastards who have to deliver booze to a house filled with drunks. He's either, he's either going to get some belligerent drunken motherfucker who wants to kill him because it took more than 15 minutes for this alcoholic to get his fix, or he's going to deliver to a, a house filled with drunken women who are like one martini shy of date raping him. Either way, sounds like a pretty fun job. In the golden days of porn, man, it was always a pizza boy. Now, he delivers the hormone elixir. <laughs> but here are some stats for any of you who don't think this is a big deal. Like I did some research, right? Because I try not to half-ass it on the podcast. I'd like to see an end of this epidemic as much as I'd like to see COVID shrink into its own asshole. In 2020, which was a year under COVID, when people didn't get out that much, but it should still give you a pretty good idea. Drunk drivers caused an average of 29 deaths every day. In the U.S. That's 10,585 people who died because of some selfish limp dick who had to get where they were going simply because they couldn't call a cab or an Uber. They drove drunk, caused a traffic collision that killed innocent people. Say what you will about alcoholics who door-dash booze to their house because they can't control their addiction. That's a step in the right direction, right? We can push the truth and issues of alcoholism a whole other day but people, people get pot delivered to their home from dispensaries too. Somehow that's okay. GoPuff is great. Anytime someone makes life safer for innocent people who are just trying to get their kids home from dance class, that's A plus in my book. Okay, I'm all done. Thanks again for listening. Check out Flight Facilities on Amazon Music. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you all next time. Cheers.